Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with guest pastor Char Broderson. Before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we're about to explore may not be suitable for our younger listeners. When Christian leaders and authors talk about the greatness of marriage and the hotness of their sex life, and then for everyone who doesn't fit into that category, what, we're just doomed to loneliness and God's second best? Is this an accurate depiction of the biblical teaching? It's actually not. And this is an example of where culture has actually defined our views on masculinity and femininity and sex instead of the Bible. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Char Broderson continues our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Char resumes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, in a message titled, How Can the Biblical Sexual Ethic Be Good for Everyone? And now, here's Pastor Char. Now, because marriage is a sign, because it's about God's covenant, unfailing love, sex in marriage is therefore the way that we say to our spouse, I belong to you and you alone. It's a way to know our spouse deeply, intimately. It's a way to serve our spouse, a way to give pleasure rather than to get pleasure. And this Exclusivity builds intimacy, vulnerability, and deep connectedness. Now, Jesus' followers, because that's what this church is about, we want to be followers of Jesus, abstain from extramarital sex and fight desires that would be unfaithful to our marriage commitments in order to witness how God works in the gospel. See, it's actually not about us. My covenant with grace, my wife, is actually not about necessarily just me being faithful to grace, me being true to her. It's about me being true to the gospel. It's about me being true to the one who rescued and redeemed me, which is actually far more compelling than just me being true to my spouse. Because well, she's a human being who's just as broken as I am. But God, God is different. God is true. He's constant. He's the one constant thing. He's a thing that our souls were made for. Through the gospel, God calls people into an exclusive relationship with him. It's a marriage covenant, as it were. And to give him anything less in return is unfaithfulness. So the Bible is basically saying Jesus' followers should not give ourselves sexually to anyone until we have committed every part of ourselves to that person. Just as God does not give his intimate love to people outside of a covenant with Jesus. Our lives as Jesus' followers are to pattern God's life and love in every way. Now, finally, sex outside of marriage covenant undermines this character quality of faithfulness, faithfulness to God. And this is the foundation of life. It's the foundation of marriage. It's the foundation of the family. It's the foundation of communities. It's the foundation of society, faithfulness, that people are true, 
but people are reliable. And this is to be a huge marker for God's people, faithfulness. You know, chastity or fidelity is not just a state, but it's a form of the virtue of faithfulness. And this is necessary for the health of the home as well. As I just said, it's the very bedrock of human community. Therefore, fidelity or faithfulness is as crucial to married life as it is to a single life. So Jesus calls his followers that are married, not just to sexual fidelity, but to total and complete fidelity to one's spouse. In thought, in word, in deed, right? It's a wholehearted or whole person devotion. Anything outside of whole heart, whole life commitment to our spouse is actually out of sync with the way of Jesus. Now, anything outside of this one man, one woman, sexual relationship in in covenant for a lifetime, anything outside of this, the Bible calls sexual immorality. And this term in scripture is used like a sexual junk drawer, right? Anything outside of what I just said, that's where it goes. That is considered sexual immorality. And as we heard last week, Those who practice, what do we mean by that? Those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is what I will do with my life. Closed fist, not struggling, not confused, not needing help, not confessing brokenness, but no, this is mine, and I am going to express myself this way. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, How can this definition of sex and sexuality be good for singles, same-sex attracted people, trans people, people dealing with gender dysphoria or gender confusion? I mean, doesn't it feel like the big tease from the Bible, if we're honest? How often have we heard pastors and Christian authors celebrate the goodness of a certain version of male and female humanness, what I like to call hyperfemininity and hypermasculinity. And then you think, well, where do I fit in? I hate dresses. I'm not a girly girl. Or maybe you're a guy and you're like, I've never benched in my life. Where do I fit into these categories? You know, when Christian leaders and authors talk about the greatness of marriage and the hotness of their sex life, and then for everyone who doesn't fit into that category, what, we're just doomed to loneliness and God's second best? Come on, tell me I'm not alone here. We've all felt this, if we're honest with ourselves. Is this an accurate depiction of the biblical teaching? It's actually not. And this is an example of where culture has actually defined our views on masculinity and femininity and sex instead of the Bible. It's a depiction of our culture being over-sexualized. And it's a depiction of our culture's previous views on hypermasculinity and hyperfemininity. And now it's rejection of all of that because it is toxic because it is actually not true to the human experience. And as I said, this view has not just shaped the culture, it has radically shaped the church. 
Now, I think something that we don't talk about enough is the sexual brokenness of human nature. What do I mean by that? Well, we're sexual creatures, and this is something created by God. It's good. But because of the fall, that is our separation from God, our identity in God, our purpose and mission given to us by God, because of our separation from all that, sin has tainted everything. So even something good like sex and sexuality is tainted by sin. We have unnatural desires. Some have gender dysphoria, confusion about our identity and purpose. We have misdirected desires. We objectify both male and female. Think about advertisement. It is just one big objectification of humanity. Again and again and again. What does sex have to do with toothpaste? Right? We are so over-sexualized in our culture. We use and abuse humans, image bearers of God. And we have made both in the culture and in the church, many times in the church, sex a totally selfish and self-fulfilling act. My conviction is that, as I just described it, all of us suffer from sexual brokenness to some degree. But some of us will experience healing. I'm talking about followers of Jesus. All of us will struggle to some degree with sexual brokenness. But the good news is that one day we will be made whole. We will be made whole. And this is something we need to remember, to look forward to, and to remind one another of often. Our God is the God of redemption. In all of its various forms of brokenness, God redeems humans. Now remember, the Bible is also full of sexually broken people. I had people asking me today, should my kids sit in this morning? Why? Because the Bible's full of sexually deviant stuff. <laughs> they don't want their kids to hear that at this age, right? The Bible is full of sexually broken people. Nobody gets it 100% right. Following shortly after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, there's incest, rape, polygamy, adultery, divorce, perversion, heartache, and so on and so forth. And so goes human history. The Bible is filled with sexually broken people. And yet, listen, the story doesn't stop there. God enters into time and space into our own personal stories in order to redeem us at the cost of his own life in order that we might find our identity, purpose, and mission in his story. That we would all realize that in our sexual brokenness, it's not about sex. It's about God. It's not about sex. It's about our identity in God. It's not about sex. It's about our purpose in God. It's not about sex. It's about our mission to follow in the way of Jesus and to put the kingdom of God on display. As we follow Jesus, he shows us this new way to be human that actually leads to the flourishing and human wholeness that every human longs for. This is my conviction. 
And because of this, I think that there are some missteps that we have made as a church and a church culture, and I think that we need to start correcting those. I think we need to repent. We need to turn from those. If we're going to properly put the life of Jesus and the kingdom of God on display, if we're going to properly experience that ourselves. So are you guys ready for some missteps? I think I have like 10 missteps. Yeah, we're ready. Front row's ready. Okay, misstep number one. Let me just say this. Some of these aren't necessarily taught. They're caught. They're assumed. It's just the water we're all swimming in. Here's number one, one of my pet peeves. The Bible holds marriage up as the ultimate relationship. This is God's best for people. Oh, we don't believe that, really? Single person comes into church. Oh my gosh, have you met Donnie? You need to meet Donnie. Oh, he's been single for 15 years. Oh, he's such a godly man. Oh, and he needs a wife. Why does he need a wife? Well, Donnie's lonely. Donnie's miserable. Donnie wants to be married just like everybody else. And so we create this culture where singles can't just come to church and be. Oh, I hate it. At Refuge Christian Fellowship, where I pastored for 14 years, I was just like, no. I went to women specifically. I'm sorry, ladies. I don't know why. Guys do this too. But especially the women at Refuge were like, they get together, they plan people's lives out. And I was just like, no more. You will not do this on my watch. We're not going to build this kind of culture here. So let's talk about this. The Bible holds marriage up as the ultimate relationship, God's best for people. The Bible doesn't ever say this, ever. And unfortunately, our culture, and especially the church, wrongly held up marriage as the only relationship in which humans can experience love and intimacy. Let me just say this. Don't misunderstand me. It's no wonder our country legalized same-sex marriage. Think about it. This is what whole humanness looks like. This is what real love and real intimacy, this is the only place you can find it. And all of you that struggle, you can't have it. You're half a human. You'll forever be lonely and empty. Sorry, just the way it is. It's not true. It's a lie. The Bible actually celebrates many and varied intimate and loving relationships that people can have. Do you guys know what the first mention of love in the Bible is? Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. The first mention, and this is important. Whenever you find a first mention in scripture, this is very important because it defines going forward what we're talking about. The first mention of love in scripture is of a father's love for his child. Isn't it interesting that God reveals himself as father, us as his wayward children, whom he longs to love and embrace. In the Bible, though marriage is held up as something good that God created, don't get me wrong, marriage is penultimate. Only God and his love is ultimate. Only God. And God does not withhold himself from anyone. He'll give this intimate love to anyone who will receive it. Therefore, the biblical sexual ethic does not refuse or bar people from God's best. God's best is offered to everyone freely through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's live it out. Listen to this. Paige Benton, singled out for good. 
I am so thankful for singles and for their hermeneutic that they have given to the church. It has helped me as a pastor so much. God bless the single people. May they grow to maturity in this fellowship and be used mightily by God. Paige Benton says this, to be single is not to be alone. If someone asks you if you're in a relationship right now, your immediate response should be that you are in dozens. Our range of relational options is not limited to getting married or to living in the soundproof, isolated booth of Miss America pageants. Christian growth mandates relational richness. The only time folks talk about human covenants is in premarital counseling. How anemic. If our God is a covenantal God, then all of our relationships are covenantal. Mm, That is Good. Misstep number two. If I don't have sex, I'll die. (laughs) You might have thought it. You might have felt it. Somebody might have said that to you. It's not true. Many virgins and celibate people have lived very long, very full, joy-filled lives. You know who one of my heroes is? John Stott. Never married. Had beautiful loving, brotherly relationships with women that worked with him. Not a closet pervert, right? Like some people coming out now, we're finding out, oh, this guy, oh, we thought he was faithful. We thought this guy was, you know, this model of Christian leadership. No, not so. John Stott lived his whole life celibate. Man, that guy was used for the glory of God, for the building up of the church. And he lived rightly towards women in the church, treated them as mothers and sisters. God bless John Stott. Misstep number three, if I don't have sex, I'll never have intimacy with another human being. Now, this is a real one. I joke around about, you know, dying if we don't have sex, but I'll never have intimacy with another human being. Okay, listen, it is our Western culture that has defined intimacy in this way. Listen to scripture. King David talks about the love and intimacy that he had with Jonathan. He says it was better than the love of women. Now, people have gone back and said, oh, this is homoerotica in the scripture. This is what was going on with David and Jonathan. It's simply not true. And it's so hard for us to wrap our our minds around this idea. You could have, you know, a relationship with another man that surpasses the love of women. What is that? Listen, could it be that David and Jonathan had such an intimate bond that it was more meaningful and more powerful than anything David did in bed with the multiple wives that he had? David had like, I don't know, 12 wives? I don't remember how many wives he had. It's a covenantal friendship. But see, we've relegated intimacy to mean only one thing, sex. We need to rediscover the true nature of intimacy and friendship, especially in the church, by celebrating the varied relationships and relationship dynamics that God has given to us. God is not banning anyone from deep intimacy or covenant relationships. The problem is with us. We define intimacy like our culture does to mean only sex. The church must put marriage and sex back in its proper place. We must, if we're going to put on display God's kingdom. Misstep number four, if I don't find a spouse and have children, I'll never be or I'll never have a family. 
If you've ever experienced a real community in the church, you know that this is not true. You guys, I live for the last 16 years, 500 miles from my parents and my wife's parents. And this is not a reflection on their love, their support, or anything like that. But I tell you what, God gave us surrogate aunts, surrogate uncles, grandmas and grandpas, friends, brothers and sisters, when none of our nuclear family was present. These people loved on us and we loved them like they are family. And the way we talk, we talk as though we're family. And you know what? This is actually a very biblical idea. Remember, it was Jesus. He's like, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. They think you're nuts. And Jesus is like, who? Your mother and brothers. Those who do the will of God are my mother and my brothers. Jesus redefines the family for us. And he invites any and all into this family of support, of care, of love and intimacy. God offers us in Christ all the love and security we will ever need, practically found in his family community, the church. Again, the problem is with us. We need to expand our idea of family to include friends, singles, couples, and surrogate aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, grandmas, and grandpas. The nuclear family is something that Jesus pushed against himself. Not only that, but in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no marriage except God's eternal covenant with his people. No family except the family of God made up of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Maybe we start there. Start defining ourselves by what God's forever family looks like. We start there. Misstep number five. If I don't find my other half, I'll forever be half a person. It's no, it's just not. It's not half and half make one. But I'm sorry, like this may sound ridiculous. I've read this in Christian books. I've heard pastors say stupid stuff like this. And when I, oh man, I like pull my hair out. Like I'm just going nuts when I hear stuff like this. Because it just ostracizes people. It's one and one makes one, actually. It's biblical math. It's a little different. Also, the Bible never uses those terms. When God says in Genesis 2, let me interpret this for you if you've struggled with this. When God says in Genesis 2 that it's not good that man should be alone, yes, of course he is talking about what he's going to do with woman. Why? Because God's going to create community. He's going to create society. Because God himself is a community. For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. Can a Christian become demon-possessed? Is there really an unseen spiritual battle behind large-scale world events and the details of individual lives? If you've ever wondered about the unseen spiritual realm and its influence upon the physical world, then this month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will answer these very questions. If you want to better understand the spiritual battle that we're involved in as Christians, how to recognize the tactics of the enemy, and how to live a victorious Christian life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. 
The book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from our guest, Pastor Char Broderson, as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. And it is the trip of a lifetime. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you're interested, we're going to have an informational meeting on Sunday, March 20th at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Or you can find out the details if you go online at israel.cccm.com. Yep. We hope you can join us. It's going to be great. It will be.